everyone. Welcome to the Film for Fans podcast, your home for movie news, reviews, and movie fan views. That is right. This is your podcast from movie fans for movie fans. That means you. I am Ryan Dunlevy, and I am joined once again by the Manchester United clad, Rob Dunham. No winning, only sadness. <laughs> yes, we got uh, we got soccer hangovers going on over here. Well, we play our big, uh, one of our biggest rivals on Saturday, so we'll probably lose that too, and then I can be even more sad. <laughs> yes, sadness and depression. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> Great way. At to least the U.S. Back. won the other night. So true, they played well. But this is not a soccer podcast. This is a movie podcast. Not <laughs> so. We have an amazing show for you. There is backlash to the big Warner Brothers announcement from last week. Is it possible that the multiverse is coming for Spider-Man? Mario Lopez is apparently Colonel Sanders. Yeah. And we discuss the movie genius that is Nicolas Cage. And of course, as always, our watch list. So let's get, let's get right into this fantastic lineup of stories here. Uh, so let's start off with the backlash over the Warner Brothers streaming deal. So if uh, you missed the podcast last week, um, last Thursday, Warner Brothers made the unbelievable announcement that their entire 2021 movie slate, and really it starts in 2020 with Wonder Woman, will all be debuting simultaneously in theaters and on HBO Max. They will show up on HBO Max the day it released in theaters. They will be on HBO Max for a month and then come off the service uh, to finish out the theatrical release. And on the heels of that earth-shattering news, uh, not everyone's happy about it, Rob. We have, not. Yeah, we have multiple stories coming out. We have stories from uh, the well-known legendary picture studios. We have... Uh, backlash from Christopher Nolan and AMC. All of them are panning this decision. So um, let's let's dive in a little bit to some of the specific criticism. Uh, Legendary Pictures uh, is the one who's producing a number of the films that Warner Brothers will be releasing. And according to Legendary, they were not consulted whatsoever on this uh, dual platform streaming deal. And they are deeply concerned because they forked over a decent amount of money to produce some of these pictures. Now, according to the articles, which we'll link to in the, uh, in the comments, they really don't have, technically, they don't have much of a say over distribution, but they're contemplating legal action. Rob, what did you, uh, what do you think of, of uh, Legendary's response? Well, Legendary is obviously a major player when it comes to production. Uh, they're behind. A lot of the work of Christopher Nolan, you think about Inception and Interstellar, Back to Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, The Dark Knight Rises, uh, Zack Snyder's work, 300, Man of Steel, Jurassic World, which was another movie. They're, they're behind a lot of different productions. Uh, definitely a major player in the industry. And in 2021, as part of this HBO deal, they are the main backers behind Dune and Kong versus Godzilla, which you would think would be two major money makers for the studio when it came to a theatrical release. So 
obviously they're looking for a bigger piece of the pie percentage wise because the amount of money is going to be significantly lower than they had anticipated um i think that even if things had stayed as just a theatrical release the money amounts would be significantly lower anyway uh i guess the question is do they get a percentage from the sales for hbo max in this window how do they calculate that i have no idea how you'd even figure that out um yeah. if, if you're warner brothers how do you how do you figure that out to distribute that appropriately and fairly and I think so i can definitely see where they're frustrated I'm just not sure what the viable solution is to this problem. Um, one of the solutions that they had that they had theorized over in the article is that it's possible that Legendary may just sell the pictures outright to Warner Brothers. That they might just have Warner Brothers just straight up buy the whole the whole piece from them. Um, now that would be a complicated negotiation, no doubt. Um, but that is one potential amelioration for, for legendary, but it doesn't, I don't know that they have a lot of leverage in these instances other than to like refuse to work with Warner brothers going forward. Like, I don't know that they have a ton of leverage. Um, it is interesting though, because I mean, we already, they already announced that Dune, I think Dune was moved back to November. Right. Mm -hmm. And so with the current timeline, I mean, there's a decent chance that, you know, the vaccine has been completely distributed to people who want it well before November. Now, I, I mean, it's pure theory, but one guess would be that everyone who has not been going will be hungry for the opportunity to do the things they missed. So there was a chance that Dune might have been able to play to pack theaters. Now, that's a complete speculation, but I can see why in their thinking, maybe, um, maybe that's a problem. Yeah, we'll just have to see what kind of terms they can come to because there's got to be some dialogue here and a decision reached uh, that's agreeable to both sides. Yeah. Yeah, so and then next, next round of criticism comes in, of course, from famed director Christopher Nolan. This is my shocked face. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Christopher Nolan is, of course, one of the biggest defenders of the theatrical industry, um, releasing movies in theaters and making sure that that particular experience is treasured. So, of course, he, uh, he had a few things to say and he did not hold back. Um, so he, this is this his quote, he said, some of our industry's biggest filmmakers and most important movie stars went to bed the night before thinking they were working on the greatest working for the greatest movie studio and woke up to find out they were working for the worst streaming service. <laughs> Those are some spicy comments. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's an excoriating take from Mr. Nolan for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and it is, it is interesting because there, there has been now it's starting to break down some, but there has always been that kind of divide where like, Previously, it was TV stars and film stars. Like the film stars were the big deal. The TV stars were a little bit lesser. Um, and the kind of streaming kind of had that similar type of vibe to it. Like if you were a streaming series star, that was one thing. But a big movie star, theatrical releases, that was something else. So I wonder how much of it is vanity 
and how much of it is, you know, the actual inner workings. I know Nolan for sure is all about the actual working of the theater, but I wonder for how many others it isn't. Yeah, you do have to wonder uh, what Christopher Nolan's reputation will be like when this is all over, because he's kind of been very uh, staunch about this, very feet in the ground and not willing to move. I mean, I, I think he pretty much essentially forced them to release Tenet in the theater. Um, I think any other director probably would not have stood up as uh, as aggressively as he did for that decision. So you have to wonder what uh, his reputation in the industry might be after all of this, because he is definitely planting both feet firmly in the ground, like I said, in defense of the theater industry. And you certainly hope that it's all uh, sincere and driven by his love of the industry and not driven by um, self-preservation instincts. <laughs> um, I guess it, we, we can't get into his mind, so we can't know that for sure. Yeah. Uh, but if there's anyone who has pushed for uh, using the medium to its fullest extent over the last decade and a half, it's definitely been Christopher Nolan. Yeah. And uh, we'll just have to see where he goes from here. I really, uh, he can, he can bluster and be frustrated at this all he wants, but it's not going to change what has happened in my opinion. I don't think they're going to hear Christopher Nolan being upset and change their mind. No, not at this point. Not at this point, um, but we'll see. I mean, we'll see what implications it has because the guy does deliver high-producing films, so maybe that means he doesn't work with Warner Brothers. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But the so so far we have a studio, we have a director, and of course we have the actual theater industry. So AMC also came out and blasted this uh, for obvious reasons because they were looking forward to. Uh, having some of these releases to themselves and using them as levers for people to come back to theaters. And with the announcement that it's going to hit streaming services at the same time, there's going to be a lot of people that don't go see it in the theaters. I think it's not a complete disaster because they will now at least have something to put in, which has been a struggle, but it's, it definitely hurts. And so it's understandable why AMC would be upset. Yeah, the big theater chains in the country, the two being AMC and Regal, have, at this point, they've taken divergent paths in addressing this because Regal just recently shut down all their theaters in the U.S., and we don't know for sure when they're going to reopen yet. Um, AMC has been strident in staying open and providing content to people, but there isn't a whole lot of content to provide. Uh, so when it does come out, it's definitely going to hurt them to not be the exclusive home of those properties. Uh, and with there being a viable streaming alternative, many people will probably turn to that instead. And you can understand their frustration, but again, I kind of feel like they're screaming into the wind because I, I really don't think the decision that Warner made is going to change. Yeah, uh, Maybe they can negotiate some kind of financial incentive to make it uh, less awful for them. But uh, the choice itself, I don't see changing very much. And AMC is not 
in a great place right now. It's in the article that you mentioned, uh, it said that they sold 200 million, they're going to sell 200 million shares of their stock, which sent their stock price down significantly. Because when you tell people you're selling stock to raise money, their people will go, why do you need to raise that much money? Because yeah. they said they're trying to raise over $800 million, which is a significant amount. That is a large amount of money mm-hmm. uh, to essentially prop up the yeah. theater, it seems like at this point, yeah. because there's not a whole lot of other avenues to generate revenue at the moment. Yeah, and we talk about this at length, but it's just fascinating the difference between like how you play this game. Do you play for the long run or do you play for the short term? You know, are you worried about the long-term stability or are you worried about having money now? You know, those are the contemplations every side and this is happening to me. So, but it is interesting that you are getting major backlash from basically all levels of, all levels of the movie industry. So, and the, the frustrating part, the frustrating part for the theaters too, is that in um, the way this uh, pandemic has been addressed in, different states. There are some states who are not even allowing any theaters to be open. Um, Pennsylvania being one starting tomorrow. Uh, We're not the only state that's doing that. So when it comes to a giant chain theater that has theaters in several of these states, if you have several states that won't let you be open regardless of what your decision is, uh, it's got to be a major financial burden on the theater. Yeah, it's rough. So... All right. Well, we'll see what happens with that. Um, but let's move on to our second story. And this one, this one I found fascinating. I think there's a lot of potential in this story. So it was announced that the Spider-Man 3 movie will feature Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield both reprising their roles as Spider-Man along with Tom Holland and several of the other characters who've been in previous movies. Now, this to me is fascinating. It speaks to the fact that there, there has to be some sort of multiverse or some sort of um, crazy scenario that they're dreaming up for this movie. Um, even rumored that Doctor Strange may be in it. But uh, I, I mean, I did not see this coming because when, when you have basically divorces of okay we're moving in a different direction it's unusual that you would bring back those actors for this i mean i think this is pretty unique i don't remember another instance of something like this happening um but i think there's a lot of potential in it what do you think yeah i think buzz for this started to get generated when people saw the initial reactions to into the spider-verse the animated movie that centers on miles morales as spider-man um this has been a thing in com- the comics for a while, alternate universes and alternate timelines. But I think it's something that studios have been hesitant to put into a movie because it's confusing. Yeah. <laughs> and some people are just not going to get it. And some people are just not going to like it. Um, and I think that held them back from kind of approaching this storyline. Uh, we saw bits and pieces of s- similar vibe things with how Dr. Strange operated in his movie and in the last two Marvel movies. So I think that might've been kind of a testing of those waters too, just to see like, are people actually interested in this kind of alternate timeline theory? And I definitely think, like I said, that the success of into the spider verse kind of exploded, uh, 
this train got it got it burning hot because now people are really interested in seeing something like that in live action and how do you make that happen um it is definitely unique to have both uh andrew garfield and toby mcguire back uh i don't think anyone could have ever expected that so i hope that they do i hope that they go for it and do something extraordinary and not just throw a couple of random like mm-hmm. flashback scenes into the movie you know i hope i hope and uh, we'll see um dr octavius is also going to be back yeah in the movie which i'm very excited about so we'll see more of his mayhem um and we'll see exactly what's going to happen in this movie because uh spider-man iterations over the years some have been great some have been disappointing and some have been confusing as Spider-Man dances for no apparent reason down the streets of New York City. So <laughs> I'm hoping that this is one of the ones that's exciting and fun to watch. So let me ask you this. Who was your favorite iteration of the three? Who is your favorite iteration of, of Spider-Man? I would have to say uh, Tom Holland is my favorite now. Um, it might be unfair to the others because he's kind of had more source material to work with. He's been able to be in more scenarios. Like we've actually seen him team up with the Avengers. So there's a different aspect to his character. Uh, I do think that you really have to give a shout out to Tobey Maguire for being like the Spider-Man to bring it back. Yeah. Because uh, superhero movies were not as huge of a deal when he became Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, So it was definitely a risk for him to do that. Um, Andrew Garfield was also good. I just don't put him quite on the same level as, as those two mm-hmm. for my own. How about, how about you? <laughs> well, I really liked the Andrew Garfield version. I thought it brought a, a charisma and a, um, a likability, just a genuine likability that I think was really prevalent um, so I really did like Andrew Garfield, but I think where Tom Holland really succeeds where the others couldn't, I think, is because Tom Holland actually looks and can act like a high school kid. Like you never thought that Tobey Maguire or Andrew Garfield were actually in high school. Like you just, <laughs> you just don't. Like, I mean, we're used to seeing like 25-year-olds play high school kids, but Tom Holland actually feels like he fits in in those scenarios much, much better than the other ones, too. So I think the believability of the character uh, really, really worked with Tom Holland in a way that didn't work with the others. Yeah, I was actually, well, I'll talk about this a little bit more later, but I was watching Captain America's Civil War today, and his introduction in that, like, I was just watching it, and all I could think was, dude, he is, like, so young. (laughs) Like, it's his ability to act that way, especially surrounded by more established, older characters, mm-hmm. really set it apart. Yeah, and it puts a lot of meat on the bone for the movies and for the writers and things to work with under those scenarios. And they've used that, for the most part, they've used that pretty well. So, all right. So, we have to move on to what is my personal favorite story of, of the week. And... This is one of those stories where, you know, if you're ever down and if you're ever having a bad day and you need something that's just going to brighten your spirits, I present you with our next story. KFC, 
is making a Lifetime movie, a romantic Lifetime movie. Now, that by itself could be, like, a good enough story, but we're not done. We're not done. And, of course, features Colonel Sanders. Of course. Played by none other than Mario Lopez. Yes. That's right. Mario Lopez is Colonel Sanders. <laughs> it's a great story to talk about, but I feel like we're both speechless <laughs> like, because I did not remember AC Slater throwing back the uh, special recipe back at Bayside High in, in the cafeteria. I mean, this is a story that's so absurd just on its face that you honestly have to check to see if it's made up. And you look at like the promo shot for it and it looks photoshopped. I, I just like, I, <laughs> there are not words. There are not words for this. I just, People have too much time on their hands and they are way too bored. As, as we will see uh, again in a further thing we talk about in a little bit. So, and check it out though. Of course, this is, there is plenty of spicy moments, according to the article, spicy moments, including a dangerous love triangle and the revelation of Sanders' secret recipe that will change the world. <laughs> I, I, I don't understand. I just don't. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it won't be KFC's actual secret recipe because they would murder anyone who tried yeah. to release that to the general public. The movie is, of course, called A Recipe for Seduction. Of course. Of course. Because when I think KFC fried chicken grease, you know, <laughs> seduction is definitely up to the top of my list. Yes. <laughs> how, how is it not an aphrodisiac? How is it not? <laughs> <laughs> so, you do not want to miss this, because this film is actually coming out this weekend. That's right, this weekend, Sunday at 3 o'clock Eastern on Lifetime Channel. You get to watch Mario Lopez as Colonel Sanders in A Recipe for Seduction. Well, I'm sorry, football, but uh, this Sunday you are getting replaced. Yes. <laughs> I, I just don't. It's, it's fantastic. Like, Sometimes life just gives you gifts like this, and you just have to sit back and just be thankful. Oh, we, we have another gift to talk about here, too. Oh, we do. We do. Ah, oh, I can't wait. So, uh, Rob, why don't you lead out on this? Because this is your discovery, and uh, I don't want to take fire away. Here. Well, first of all, let me open my notes so I can get the name correct, because every time I try and tell somebody about it, I'm like, what was the name of that movie, actually? And so oh. there's a movie starring Nicolas Cage that's coming out next year called The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. How can it not star Nicolas Cage with that title? The title itself is incredible, but then we get to the story of the movie, and I don't know what kind of drugs the people who came up with this were on, but I would like some. Because um, Nicolas Cage is going to star in a movie where he gets kidnapped and has to reenact famous scenes of his in order to placate his captors and not be killed. And Nicolas Cage playing Nicolas Cage 
has to be the best thing that I've ever heard of in my entire life. And I cannot wait. Yes. Like I'm unhealthily excited for this movie. And not so, sometimes you would hear a premise like this, uh, an off the wall premise and you would go, well, you know, that might be good for a B movie, but like what else is going to draw me to it? But this movie is also going to star Neil Patrick Harris yeah. and Pedro Pascal, who is the Mandalorian. Yes. Like I, I don't understand how they are attached to this movie. Like I don't, I don't know. I'm pretty sure Pedro Pascal is the main bad guy in the movie. Um, so it'll be interesting to see him in a like meteor role. Um, how can you not though be drawn to the greatness that is Nicolas Cage acting like Nicolas Cage? Like that orbit is just the gravity around that orbit is just so severe. Like you, you cannot help but get sucked in. So Nicolas Cage has kind of been become a parody of himself in some ways with his off the wall acting. Sometimes he's really serious and on the ball with his character. And a lot of the times he's becoming a crazy person and people really like when he's crazy. So it made me think if there were a couple of things that Nicolas Cage could do, replicate from movies that he had been in previously, what would I want to see Nicolas Cage do if I was writing the script? Yes. And in my opinion, just the fact that the script exists means we can be as fanciful as we want with this. We can come up with anything because this movie exists. So since it exists, we can speak whatever we want into the universe because apparently it will happen. So Ryan, what, what do you think of, give me, give me one sequence or moment from a Nicolas Cage movie that you would want to see him reenact maybe in a slightly different way for this movie. So we have to preface this by the fact that we divided up movies prior to this. So if the one that immediately pops into your mind does not come out of my mouth, it's because Rob stole it because that's the type of person he is. (laughs) (laughs) I'm calling this my finder's fee for finding the story in the first place. No, there's so much, there's absolutely so much to work with Nicolas Cage. It's, it's hard to go wrong. I'm going to start out with his scene from Gone in 60 Seconds where they're getting ready. They're getting ready to go out on their night of stealing cars. And they're all like, they're all like getting into the mood. And then he comes up and he says, Donnie, lowrider. Donnie, lowrider. And then he just gets this like groove going. And then he starts shaking his index fingers. Let's go. I need, I need me some of that. I need <laughs> me some of that. I need that reenacted. That's awesome. Uh, the first one I thought of, uh, I'm going to have to issue a quick spoiler alert here. In case you haven't seen The Rock in the almost 30 years since it came out. Spoiler alert. Um, care about you if that's the case. Yeah, because this is this is the end of the movie. So if you have not seen The Rock, definitely do not listen to the next minute of the podcast. Uh, in The Rock, at the end, the very end, Sean Connery's character leaves for Nicolas Cage directions to go find something, and he goes into this church and pulls off one of the legs and finds microfilm that shows all kinds of things, including who actually killed JFK, and like. Basically, uh, it's a national treasure, but in a microfilm, I guess. <laughs> I wonder if that's where they came up with national treasure. <laughs> um, but this is going to hurt both me and Ryan, and probably no one else is going to even know what I'm talking about. 
but that's okay because, like I said, I can do whatever I want because Nicolas Cage is playing himself. So I would like Nicolas Cage to go into uh, an old rundown church and uh, pull off one of the legs from a pew, and inside would be the microfilm that shows how the World Cup would have gone if they would have called the handball on Torsten Frings. <laughs> For real. For real. That was, like, I cannot watch that. <laughs> For those of you who are unaware, who may not follow sports or care, uh, that was when the United States got knocked out of the last eight of the World Cup because a handball was not called. That would have been a United States goal against Germany, and they ended up proceeding to the semifinals, and we did not. We totally dominated that match, too. Sad times. All right, I'm going to go with my second one so we can laugh, because uh, I need to laugh now. Um, I was also thinking of uh, Gone in 60 Seconds and the fact that throughout the whole movie, Nicolas Cage is obsessed with getting this one car, Eleanor, this final car on his list of cars he needs to steal. And I really want uh, the bad guy to make Nicolas Cage go steal his Eleanor, but have it be like a Dodge Neon from 1995. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And see him like so happy that he gets the car that he always dreamed of. Because I know when I was a kid, like when I was 12 in 1995, I wanted to dodge Neon real bad. So maybe this like bad guy is around the same age as me and maybe it's his dream and <laughs> we just can't live without it. Like that's what I hope at least. Yeah. Yeah. How about yourself? You got another one for me? All right. I got, um, I do. I, I'm trying, I was trying to pick between which ones I wanted, but. I think I will go with um, perhaps, I mean, this is a high bar, but perhaps one of the most ridiculous of Nicolas Cage's movies. And that would be Face Off. <laughs> where he looks around and he talks about John Travolta. He's got him captured and he says, we're going to take his face off. <laughs> How, how that's not an Oscar-worthy moment, I don't understand. I feel like that one, out of everything that we mentioned, is the most likely to actually be in the real movie. Yeah. Because it's just so uh, iconic. Yeah. And people like remember it instantly when they see it. What else you got, Rob? I know you got more. Uh, you know, you got to go with uh, a color, color Out of Space is too recent, but Nicolas Cage was absolutely insane in that movie, so... <laughs> I expect to see just general insanity uh, from him in this movie, and I can I cannot wait for what is around the corner for us. Like this, see, seeing this movie was coming out next year was the early Christmas present that I didn't know I wanted, and now that I have it, I'm not sure I want anything else for Christmas because I'm just so happy. And there are just too many scenes from The Rock. There are just too many. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah, I need to watch that movie again to remind myself of all my favorite Nicolas Cage moments. Like, they, they shot out the, I don't know, it was a heating unit, and then it's like, landed on a body, and the body's like, leg is twitching, and he's talking to Sean Connery, and he's like, can you make that stop? What, the foot? <laughs> yeah, the foot thing. <laughs> no. Is that normal? <laughs> <laughs> I also am, uh, I, I also enjoy Nicolas Cage sitting in his, uh, lounger recliner in his house in gone uh, or in the rock completely naked playing his acoustic guitar talking about acquiring old beatles records that's also a classic <laughs> i drive a volvo a beige one 
<laughs> oh man, such a good movie, such a good actor, and now we get to see him be himself. Which, you know, I, I would think for him, this has probably got to be the pinnacle of his career. Yes, yeah. that he can finally act as himself for once. Like, how many actors then get to go reprise themselves? I mean, obviously, John Malkovich did it. <laughs> <laughs> Malkovich, 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 Malkovich. You know, I mean, he got a whole movie named Being John Malkovich. I mean, you know, but uh, yeah, this is this is a career achievement for Nick Cage. All right, let's get to our watch list. So we're talking about movies we watched last week. And I'll go first on this one. I did finally get to watch Die Hard. I did enjoy it. So it's a good day. It's a good day to die hard. <laughs> Wrong movie. No, yeah, that's uh, a different movie. <laughs> Die Hard is fantastic. Um, I, someone sent me a quote. I don't know if they knew I had just watched it, but somehow they sent it to me because they knew I would want it. It said, Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. Die Hard is a movie about running around a tall building, running from Alan Rickman. It's Harry Potter. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> so hard to argue with that. So there we have it. So I watched Die Hard. Make sure you watch it. Um, as we talked about last week, I watched Allegiant, the third of the Divergent series movies. And I did not remember exactly how it ended because I think I'd only seen it once. Um, and it definitely doesn't have an ending. It has a <laughs> pseudo ending. It has a... Well, that explains okay, why you didn't remember how it ended. <laughs> yeah. It, it has like, okay, that part of the movie is over. But <laughs> looking back on it, it's very clear they were supposed to make a fourth movie and just didn't. So... <laughs> Sad young adult author noises. Yeah. So fun times there. And last night I was just like, I got to watch something that I'm familiar with. And I landed on the Born Identity. So Can't go wrong with that. It's amazing how old that movie is now. It's speaking of 2002 and the World Cup. I watched that movie in the theaters before one of the late night World Cup matches. Wow. I went to the late showing to help keep myself up before one of the late night World Cup matches. Symmetry in the podcast. So yeah, it's amazing how young Matt Damon looks in that movie. It's fantastic. It still holds up. I mean, I don't know. Like when you're someone who watched something when it originally came out, I don't know how well it's going to hold up to a younger audience, but the actual filmmaking is pretty good. I mean, obviously some of the technology aspects of things is super old, but I don't know. Yeah, Rock it's definitely one of my favorites, for sure. Um, speaking of Alan Rickman and Tall Buildings, I actually watched the first Harry Potter movie. There we uh, go. The Sorcerer's Stone, or uh, as it's known in England, the Philosopher's Stone. I think it's the rest of the world calls it the Philosopher's Stone. We only call it the Sorcerer's Stone in the United States. And fun little tidbit about that, I turned on the closed captioning, and when Harry Potter said the Sorcerer's Stone in the movie, the closed captioning says the Philosopher's Stone. <laughs> Oh, that's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. That's really so, so even the uh, overdub didn't make it into the uh, closed captioning, which is <laughs> very interesting. I wonder if that's like a software that automatically corrects English, like British yeah. English to American yeah, English. Yeah, I don't know. That'd be but, uh, really specific. Yeah. Yeah, but it's very, it's, uh, it, I've actually only seen the Harry Potter movies one time before. Okay. And that was last year. I watched through all of them for the first time. Once you and watch so, again, we'll have to we'll have to 
break down the series a little bit. Yeah, we, we mentioned, I mentioned earlier how uh, sometimes when there's a big series, you can forget like what moment was in what movie. You kind of be surprised by things or there's little moments that you didn't quite catch the first time around or didn't see in the same light. And I think that uh, the second watch through of the um, Harry Potter series, especially seeing Alan Rickman's character, there were definitely things I noticed uh, that I did not see the first time. And so it, it was cool to see that because knowing what's going to come kind of changes everything. And also an- another thing that's really cool about this watch through is my daughter who is 10 has asked to watch with us. Ah. And so she watched uh, the first movie with us. Oh, that's cool. And uh, it was really cool to see her reactions to some of the things that were surprising in the movie that she didn't see coming. And some of the th- things they were a little scared at. So, you know, she, she had to lean against daddy mm-hmm. or Voldemort's head on the back of the other person's head. <laughs> it was a little scary. Um, but she was definitely surprised by some moments and uh, really enjoyed the movie and is excited to see what happens. She was very taken aback by the reveal that uh, Alan Rickman's character was not the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Because And that movie does a fantastic job of setting you up to think he's the bad guy. And really they do that almost throughout the series. Like it's a recurring yeah. theme throughout the entire series. Which so is- I was excited to see that. And then I also watched uh, tonight Captain America Civil War. And that's another one, like I said, same thing with a giant series of movies. You can forget little bits and pieces there. Um, it was exciting, exciting for me to see Daniel Bruhl's performance again as the one of the main bad guys in that movie, probably the one driving the plot the most as he's a uh, Sokovian uh, former Special Forces captain who comes back to try and basically tear apart the Avengers, uh, but does it in a really unique way. If you haven't seen the movie, it's definitely worth checking out. Um, I really uh, I like his character's motivation and how he uh, communicates it as he's going through his operation. It's very focused, very intended, how he handles things. And there's some really good twists in there because of how that happens. And obviously the major reveal, I don't want to give um, really specific spoilers on this because this is it's not new, but it's newer than some other things we talked about. Um, some people may not have seen it. Um, but the the reveal of the connection between Tony Stark and winter soldier is something I remember seeing in the theater and just being like, it's an emotional moment. And I think one of the best things about the Marvel universe is they managed to make actual genuine emotion happen on the screen with superheroes, which I think is not an easy thing to do. And I think they did it through pretty much all the movies that uh, they produced in the series. And that's, that's probably one of the most visceral ones for me um, when Captain America and Tony Stark are fighting. Yeah. Uh, I can't say more than that because I don't want to ruin it for people. Um, I guess I'll say spoiler alert because I want to say this out loud. Uh, when Captain America and Tony Stark are fighting and uh, Captain America is like, you don't have to do this, Tony. Like he, he, was, he was under the control of Hydra. It's not his fault. And Tony just says, but he killed my mom. Mm. Like to me, that's probably one of the most emotional, real 
lines of the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe because every single person in the world can relate to that line. Yeah. Because like they killed my mom. Yeah. Um, you want to defend the people that you care about that are that close to you. And the other one that always gets me too is a little, a little bit later when uh, when Captain America says about Bucky, he's my friend. And Tony says, but you were my friend too. Yeah. It's just like, uh, like a gut punch. Uh, those characters are so well written. They're so well executed by the actors that it feels real. And the emotion is definitely there. And a lot of movies try and have emotion and it doesn't come across because they try too hard or it's written poorly. And I feel like this movie in particular was spot on with how it was, how the emotion was written into the script. Excellent. Excellent. So let's, uh, let's close it out with our, what we're watching this week. Uh, for me, I recently bought John Wick three, but it's been too long since I watched John Wick one and John Wick two. So that's what I'm going to, I'm going to do. We watch through the John Wick series. And this is of course, it is now the week for home alone for me. It is the week for home alone. So I look forward to watching home alone. I will be watching the second Harry Potter movie, which, you know, I'm not a Harry Potter crazy person, so I don't know the name of it. <laughs> Do you know the Chamber name of the second Harry Potter movie? I'll stop your head. Chamber of Secrets. Okay, Chamber of Secrets. That's the one I'm going to watch. Um, pro- uh, maybe more than that. I might watch a couple more. Uh, I'm also planning on uh, having some more movie nights at my house. Uh, so the movie uh, program may not be chosen by me. <laughs> so I might end up seeing some things that I was not expecting to see. And I'm sure that over the course of the week, I'll be watching some Christmas movies too, as we continue our slow descent toward the Christmas holiday. Yes. Coming in for landing. Yes. All right, Rob, we're going to wrap it up. You got anything else for the people? I do not. All right. Thank you for checking out Film for Fans podcast. Make sure you rate, subscribe, do all of the standard things. Uh, We really could use your support. Leave us some comments. Some of you leave us some good comments, and we appreciate all of them. And make sure you check out filmforfans.com. We've got our recommendations, our reviews, and a bunch of stuff over there. Until next time. If you have any friends who like movies, tell them about our podcast, too, so more people can be listening to and watching it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Share that podcast. Until next time, enjoy the movies. Let's go.